0: The following sermon was delivered at the 1030 worship service at the United Methodist Church of Kent. Please enjoy. There are certain ways that we tend to focus on Jesus' humanity, especially at different times during the Christian year. In the season of Christmas, for example, we marvel at the fullness of God contained In a baby, a fragile baby, with clutching fingers and curling toes, God God incarnate, all the majesty and fullness of God, God in flesh, nourished in and born through a woman. And in Holy Week, we contemplate the horror of a crucified God, Jesus' human body tortured and executed by an unjust justice system, and then returned into the arms of the same mother who had nurtured him and nursed him and then watched him die. And then, of course, in between those moments, we notice other signs of Jesus' humanity as well. Jesus' hunger and and thirst, his friendships, his joy, his grief, his anger, even his sneaking off as a child and exasperating his parents as he does so. Some aspects of Jesus' humanity may be comforting for us, knowable and relatable and shared. But other aspects, though, might be rather uncomfortable for us. For there are times and ways in which the Incarnation, God in flesh, might be a more down-to-earth, nitty-gritty, and dirty reality than we're comfortable considering. For many of us, for many of us, today's gospel story might be one such case. As the story is told to us in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus and the disciples are in the district of Tyre and Sidon, and these were two seaside towns up in modern day Lebanon. And there a woman, a woman not given the dignity of a name, but referred to only by her ethnicity, that is only by her otherness, her foreignness as a Canaanite woman, this woman starts shouting to Jesus to heal her daughter. She is, we might imagine, a desperate mother. Her child is afflicted by something, something that prevents her daughter from flourishing as she should. Something in her daughter is broken in some way, physically or spiritually or emotionally or psychologically. And yet, Jesus ignores her. As the story is told, he doesn't even decline her request, not at first, he just flat out refuses to even acknowledge That she is there the woman persists shouting after jesus and the disciples until finally only after the disciples have expressed their annoyance at her persistent shouting jesus responds by saying that he has been sent only to the lost sheep of the house of israel that is not to foreigners not to outsiders like this woman but still the woman persists still insisting that her life matters even while she is being told that it does not. She kneels before Jesus and pleads her case, "'Lord, help me,' she says. And he responds again, this time by calling her a dog, unworthy to be given any bread. But still, still the woman persists. "'Yes, Lord,' she says, agreeing in this moment to argue on Jesus' terms, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs from their master's table. And at that, finally, finally something clicks into place for Jesus. He commends her great faith and immediately her daughter is healed. It is a surprising and a discomforting portrayal of Jesus that we find in today's gospel story. And so as we tend to do when we are feeling uncomfortable, we have made lots of attempts to try to explain or to excuse Jesus' behavior in the story. It has been suggested, for example, that the word Jesus uses today for dog actually means puppy, as though somehow that takes the bite out of his words. Or it's been suggested that all of this was just a test. Jesus treated the woman harshly, only to test the disciples' understanding. But for me, at least, that almost makes this even worse, that Jesus would use this suffering woman's suffering just to make some point to some others who were there. And so to my mind, for whatever that's worth, to my mind, it seems to me the simplest solution to our discomfort with Jesus' behavior here remains the most convincing for us. And that is simply that Jesus said what he meant, and Jesus meant what he said. Uncomfortable as that might be for us, this story simply reflects what Jesus thought at that time. After all, Jesus was, as we say, through our creeds and our tradition, Jesus was fully, that is not generically, human. He was born and he was raised in a specific time and place. He lived and he moved and he had his being among a specific culture, a specific religious tradition. And so just like everyone else who has lived a specific life, including each of us, Jesus was influenced by the culture in which he lived, including that culture's assumptions and stereotypes and biases. Jesus of Nazareth, we call him. And that location, Nazareth, is an important part of his identifier. Jesus was a first century Palestinian Jewish man. Jesus was part of a community that was living under constant threat by the colonizing Roman Empire. He was part of a community who, perhaps because of that threat, circled their proverbial wagons and sort of built a wall around their community, considering all foreigners to be deeply and to be irredeemably other. They were unclean, impure, and taboo. Especially, especially the Canaanites, like the woman in today's story. For you might recall, some of those older stories in our tradition, the Canaanites were the ones who lived, of course, in the land of Canaan. They were the ones who lived in the land that the Israelites believed God had promised to them, given to them, following their exodus out of Egypt. And so, like countless other indigenous peoples throughout human history, Canaanites became victims of Manifest Destiny. They were removed from their homeland by conquest and by genocide, terrible violence justified by religion and by a claim of divine right. And ever since, from the conquest of Canaan to the time when Jesus lived, the dominant strain of Judaism in Palestine justified their past actions against Canaanite people by stereotyping them as less than. Canaanites, it was said, were morally bankrupt. Canaanites were an especially fierce and fearsome sort of people, certainly a people undeserving of such a land flowing with milk and honey. I wonder perhaps if Jesus had an uncle who told jokes at the Canaanites' expense during family meals and other gatherings, you know the sort of jokes, the sort of jokes that makes folks squirm a little in their seats but no one really says anything out loud to disagree. Or maybe when Jesus was an adolescent, he heard, maybe he even repeated stories among his peers about Canaanites being dirty or lazy or not wanting to work hard, and that's why they lost their land. Whatever the case, those cultural biases must have been in the air that Jesus breathed, and the way that he was raised, and the values of the culture in which he lived. They're certainly scattered throughout our scriptures. We can find them again and again and again. But then Jesus traveled to the other side of the tracks this day, up to the north, where Canaanite people still lived. And there he encountered this woman, this foreign woman, this other woman, this Canaanite woman who was just as pushy and demanding as he'd always heard that they were. And face to face with her, all those commonly accepted assumptions must of course, through Jesus' head, those old jokes and stereotypes and stories subconsciously even, maybe implicitly, without even thinking. Until, thanks be to God, Jesus realizes that in that moment, he needs to rethink. He needs to reconsider, he needs to re-examine what he's been taught to assume about those people. Confronted by this Canaanite woman who's demanding help and insisting on his response and requiring his compassion, at first he's silent, maybe not knowing quite how to respond. Maybe he's praying about it, asking what God intends in this emotion-filled moment. Maybe he's trying to figure out how he can deny her request on the one hand, or, or how he can deny what he's always been told to believe on the other. Whatever it is, standing in this dissonance between the person in front of him and the stereotype he's been carrying, first Jesus tries to dismiss that discomfort. I'm not here for you, he says to the woman. Now go find one of your own people who can help you then, as she keeps pushing, Jesus' frustration bursts out in name-calling. Why should I help a dog like you, he says. But then her words finally break something open in him. Even dogs, she said, even dogs should be allowed to eat. And somehow, suddenly, Jesus recognizes her humanity in that, her sacred worth. His compassion and his faith, buried under years of learned biases, come again to the surface, and in that moment he notices standing there in front of him is not some stereotype, but a real person whose faith and need and desire for God are just as true as his own, despite everything he'd always been taught to assume. And in that recognition, Jesus has changed through the woman's unwillingness to go away or to be ignored or to stay silent and wait her turn, through Jesus' broken open heart and through their shared then acknowledgement of what they hold in common, both of them are changed. She leaves with her daughter restored to wholeness and Jesus leaves walking toward a whole new understanding of his mission. The closing words of this same gospel, go and make disciples of all nations. Those words remind us That Jesus makes room at the table for everyone, for Jews and for Canaanites, and for everyone else to live together as kin. The story of Jesus wrestling with his faith, the story of Jesus realizing and then struggling against his biases, this story can feel uncomfortable for us. Perhaps Jesus seems a little too human in this story. But being human isn't a bad thing. For to be human is to be made in God's own image with something of God's capacity to love. And to be human is to learn and to grow and to change, to open and expand our beliefs, to face and to relinquish our assumptions. And that, to me, is the good news of this story. And it is very good news indeed, that by God's grace we are not bound by the biases that we have been taught. Our lives are not limited by our stereotypes and assumptions that we've been told and taught to carry. For Jesus shows us that we can choose to act beyond them. Now it isn't easy or often automatic for us, of course, Jesus shows us that today too. Some of the biases that we carry both explicitly and implicitly, the assumptions that we've been taught about ourselves and about each other, some of these have been woven so so very tightly into the very fabric of our families and ourselves and our culture and our churches that when we pull out those threads, we might worry about what will remain. It's hard and it's uncomfortable work to learn to live together in unity, across our differences and our divides, but it is essential work too and sacred. It's the very work of discipleship, the work of becoming more fully human, working on our own salvation with fear and trembling, trusting God's hand to hold us all the way. Acknowledging and then relinquishing the biases we have been taught is unsettling work, to be sure. It's uncomfortable work to witness in Jesus, and it's uncomfortable work to engage in ourselves. But because of today's story, we can be sure we're not alone. As we unlearn and relearn, as we dismantle and rebuild, as we listen to and learn from folks who seem so different from ourselves that everything in us and in our upbringing screams at us that they are other, as we open our hearts and minds by seeking out persons and perspectives that stretch and grow us into becoming more fully human, as unsettling as all of that will be for us, we also can be encouraged. Because Jesus has walked the same way before us, and the Spirit is walking it with us still. As day by day, and encounter by encounter, and discomfort by discomfort, we discover more fully the truth of the psalmist's words, how very good and pleasant it is when kindred live together in unity. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you for listening to this edition of the United Methodist Church of Kent Sermon Podcast. For more information about the church, visit www.kentmethodist.org.